0: Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of the show's highlights this week. I'm thrilled today
2: to be joined by the latest guest brought over by the Make Market Creative Initiative. It is Dr Kate Bethune, who will be speaking about the uh, bad boy of British fashion at the market hall later this evening. More of that a little bit later, though. I have to just ask you, though, first, Kate, pet names, do you ever get? asked called any pet names and does it really bother you
3: I do and sometimes it does bother me but I think it's you know par for the course which it shouldn't be but I think a little bit of babe here and there is okay as long as it's someone you know but when they don't know you then it really bothers me. So, Howard, not till the end of the show. Of course, <laughs> Hold off on that one. You, you are, of
2: course, a doctor, which in itself is a fantastic title. When you, when you got your doctorate, did anyone treat you differently?
3: No one called me Dr Babe or Babe Doctor. <laughs> um, it's interesting, actually. Yes, although I never really used the title unless I need to complain about one of those adverts, and then I always use my title. Oh, yes, it would get you places, probably, I'm sure.
2: Uh, is, what is your doctorate in? It's in history, early American history, actually. So prepared you very well for your job now It really has (laughs) and Because you are the uh, researcher to the director of the Victoria and Albert Museum Yes, that's correct
3: What does that actually mean? What do you do? A bit of everything. It's such a varied role and that's why I, why I really like it. So it's very, very high turnover. It'll be a revolving door of goodness knows what that comes in every day. And then I write his speeches, lots of lectures for him. I do a lot of travel actually. So I've got to go to some amazing countries over the past year, such as India. Um, I'm off to Moscow again next week for the second time. So I've been very, very fortunate. And it's been great to have a window into how a big organisation like the VNA works. So really, really lucky. And it's taken you to the Isle of Man. It has. I've had a great time. I've only been here a few hours, but everyone's been so lovely and I can't wait to come back already. So I know I've got a good day with the weather and it wasn't like this yesterday, but so far, 10 out of 10. I know, considering Mananin was stopping anyone from coming in yesterday, I think, wasn't yeah,
4: it? Yeah, it was a bit difficult. I and mean, hopefully the weather's better than Moscow, but I don't know at this time of the year.
2: Oh, I don't know. I, but Moscow's got a lot to see, I think, regardless of the weather. Really. Uh, it must be a, a fantastic thing to be able to work at somewhere that is as iconic and steeped in history as the v- of 8 itself as a building
3: yeah it's a bit of a dream job and working on the McQueen exhibition was just the career highlight and I've been so fortunate it's got an incredible reputation the V&A has a wonderful collection absolutely amazing staff who are so generous with their time and knowledge we put on fantastic exhibitions um, and it's just really exciting. No two days are ever the same. And it really is just, yeah, I hate to say it, but it is a bit of a dream job.
4: Was it the sort of job that you actually aspired to when you were a student? or
3: No. So when I started the PhD, I was quite open minded about academia. But then I realised very early on that it wasn't quite the right fit for me. Um, and museum's perfect because you still get to be intellectually curious, but you get to engage with the public. And it's, it's, a, it's a broader audience. And, and that's also what I really like.
2: So when you are curating something as sort of vast and broad and and exciting as the Alexander
3: McQueen retrospective, where do you actually start? It's interesting actually. I think the, the best thing about working on a project like that is that you have a precious two or so years to really become an expert in your subject. And that's where my current role is very different. It's very, you know, fast turnover. Um, but it's, it's, it's taking a broad overview but having the opportunity to go into a lot of detail as well. So for McQueen it was fantastic because we connected with lots of his friends and collaborators to really hear their personal stories and accounts um, and we unearthed some really interesting discoveries in terms of objects and the stories behind them. So that was really wonderful to feel like you really knew about absolutely everything that was on display and to be able to talk about them passionately to all the visitors was really, really special. And what were some of your favourite pieces in the exhibition? Oh God there was this incredible dress in the romantic exoticism gallery and um, McQueen was very heavily inspired by Japan and the Far East and it was a dress that was made from antique panels of a 19th century embroidered silk screen. And it sat over top an underdress of lacquered oyster shells. So it was these wonderful combinations of materials that no other designer would ever think to put together. And it really was just absolutely exquisite. And it just showed off his artistry and his craftsmanship. But that's the thing then is something like that fashion or is it art? It's something that's always debated, especially when talking about Alexander McQueen, and it's a label that he himself refuted. He didn't necessarily see himself as an artist, but indisputably he did take fashion to another level, and that's what visitors really took away with them. They realised that it wasn't just fashion, it was art, it was theatre, it was film, it was drama, and I think that's what really moved them and captivated them, because you had a window into his limitless imagination. And what an
2: imagination. And you said you obviously got to meet with his friends and family and found out some stories about him as a Mm. person. What were some of the most interesting things you found out about him?
3: He was just, I think it was because he was a bit of a rule breaker. He was just not afraid to follow his passion and his dream and do what he wanted to do. He didn't feel encumbered by the constraints of working within the fashion industry, which is really interesting. And a lot of his collections actually were quite a heavy critique of working within that industry. For example, there was um, a catwalk show uh, in 2004 called Deliverance and the show invitation to that was um, a drugs packet. So I think it was this kind of it was a commentary on the nature of the fashion industry and the need to keep going and the need to, you know, keep producing. It's a very fickle industry and you're only as good as your last collection. So that kind of the pressure to keep meeting and exceeding those expectations. And it is something that he did again and again and again. Does that
4: help with with audience numbers when you have a a bad boy, as we've phrased it there? Does that actually, do you think, bring a broader spectrum of audience in than, than someone who might have been iconic but sort of, if I can phrase it, dull.
3: (laughs) I think Alexander McQueen is a very particular designer because you can assess him against many different criteria. He really was an artist. Um, he was an exceptional craftsman as well, I mean his, his virtuosity as a tailor, he trained on Savile Row, he then went to spend time at a theatrical costumier's Burmans and Nathans which is where he really understood about historic dress in the context of theatrical costume uh, and then he did his MA degree at Central Saint Martins which is the, the best fashion uh, college um, in the world really uh, for, for training uh, graduate fashion designers. Um, and also not all designers can can withstand a solo show, or a solo exhibition. So it, it really is remarkable. The VNA has never staged such a large fashion exhibition before. It filled all three of our exhibition galleries. Yeah. There were over two hundred and sixty garments and accessories on display, immersive installations. Um, and for him, it was all about the catwalk show. The clothes came after the show. He always started with a very strong narrative for his catwalk shows. Um, and that's what, He's he's known for um, these extraordinary shows that really conveyed emotion and theatre and um, it was spectacle as well. I mean, he, he had models walking on water, he had them suspended in the air, he had them in rings of fire. It really was extraordinary. You never knew what was going to happen next. It was a real event to see one of his shows.
1: Let's talk about uh, women in politics generally then. Uh, The new members of the House of Keys have been sworn in this morning, among them five women, which actually for the height of man is really, really good. Uh, The question about whether or not we need more women in politics, a very familiar one on this show, and it's been debated many times. sort of in a wider context as well what do you think though are five female mhks enough uh, does more need to be done to find out why more women aren't standing there were 13 this time but that's mm. compared with 50 men um and one of those candidates louise white is with us this afternoon and i'm interested in what people said to you on the doorstep louise mm. uh, about you standing and the fact that you are a woman yeah
5: it's fascinating because i i'm equality inequality in situations whether it's age, gender poverty whatever is one of the things that flicks the button that makes me really cross but on the other hand you don't want the debate to be overtaken by the fact that it's about gender because you want the most competent qualified appropriate person in for the job so it's a different it's it's a difficult challenge to get the balance right between the two but when i was on the door pe- the most common thing people said to me oh a woman standing i'm so glad to see a woman standing and that came from men and women and there was a general consensus across that people want the compassion. It's they felt the compassion was missing, and and again, as I said, that's you know reflective of how I felt. But I also spoke to other women who said, "Do you know I'd love to do that, and I haven't got the courage."
1: I wonder how much nowadays Jason Roberts is because you worry as a woman. I think I possibly would worry about this about the backlash you would get. Particularly, I mean, you're looking at social media, but it, some of it is just horrible.
5: I think there is. And I think there's a difference between um, a man standing and somebody says, oh, well, he says this about his <coughs> politics. But then he said that two years ago or whatever, or I don't like him because he does this. And, and then the difference with women where they go like, well, look at what she looks like. God, I wore are you know what I mean? And, but I, I think I'd, I'm not sure as a man whether I say, well, I'm desperate for more women in politics. What I'd just like to see is a bit more respect for women and for women's issues one of the candidates was asked about um, abortion law reformation in the run-up to the the elections themselves do you think the law should be changed and he said no full stop now not no and here's why and that for me shows a basic disrespect of women they're not even good enough to explain why you would oppose that one of the most threatening I, i only had two incidents as when i was canvassing that made me feel uncomfortable and one of the most threatening ones was when a chap opened the door and he stood three steps above me, pointing his finger in my face, telling me why women aren't allowed any option over the body. And that w- that was, it's, it's gender issues like that that we do need to actively discuss. Men and women are different. We think differently. And most importantly, we hear differently. You need to get a balance of the two two competent sides working together for the greater good and to fairly reflect and accurately reflect society. Are five women in the House of Keys now enough to do that? It's a start, it's a start. Um, One on their own, one or two on their own certainly cannot, but when you have five you've got the moral support. It doesn't matter if each of those five completely disagree with each other, they'll still give each other that support that you need in that environment.
2: I think that it's interesting what you're saying as well about the way that women are reflected in the media because um, uh, that's one of the things I think that maybe puts women off is that in order to put our points across if we are in any way more confident than we're supposed to be as women if we're trying to put our point across it's seen as very negative a man can be very very confident yeah. and can really force his point across and it's it's praised it's not criticised but I think same as if you're in an executive role in a business or something that I think maybe often puts us back because we'd rather reason than just sort of shout about stuff
1: um, We've had lots of thoughts from you on this keep them coming in 166-177 you can email studio at but Claire says I think we should be encouraging women to be more involved. It's still traditionally an old man's club. I know the fact that I've got a school-aged child made me think I'm not doing that because I wouldn't have the support in place for the evenings, etc. Really good point there, Claire. And uh, Nick from the Sweet Shopping Cast Stand says, I think it's fantastic we're heading in the right direction with five women MHKs. In respect of equal opportunities, how many ethnic, minority and disabled MHKs are there? I have two main priorities. They need to eat plenty of sweets and they need to sort out the horrendous Manx gas standing charges. Uh, Thank you very much for that, Nick. And uh, we've also been talking about bucket. Lists, uh, this afternoon and Mark has sent in his bucket list. Plastic bucket, steel bucket, brass bucket, wooden bucket, oh. hyacinth bucket. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> We're just thinking about the election campaign trail generally, Louise, and and briefly I just wonder how it lived up to your expectations. Did you have any expectations, I suppose, first of all? Um. Well, I'll
5: be honest with you, as soon as it's just me and you. <laughs> um,
1: the, after the
5: For two days after I announced, I was quite ill with nerves and didn't sleep, couldn't eat, really, really ill, really bad anxiety. And it was just having the strength of my convictions and the faith that I'm doing this for the right reasons that helped me drag through. And then since then, it's just been an absolute, I'm full of cold now, because I've just been so run down, lost my voice. And it's just been an absolute whirlwind whilst trying to work two jobs and trying to do everything else. And it is, it is more intense than anything you can imagine. And it's for such a long time period of time constant it's like a constant job interview every single waking second as soon as you leave the leave the house um and it's just it's just mind-blowing it really is will you do it again depends if i get cross again (laughs) our studio guest today
2: has a love of music books films and galette but i think probably more than anything he loves his art bruno kavlek it's so lovely to have you with us today thank you for joining us Tell us a little bit then about where you grew up, because as most people will know, you're clearly not from the Isle of Man originally.
6: Oh, well, people think I put an accent on every day, but uh, (laughs) I am actually from uh, Quimper, And uh, Quimper is on the west coast of Brittany in this wonderful country, and I'm not biased, but it's a really wonderful country called Finisterre. And Finisterre in English means land's hand. So that's already one uh, very close connection with Cornwall. And the second connection with Cornwall is that Camper is a capital of a small region called Cornwall. And Cornwall means Cornwall. So you can see here how um, uh, very close these two uh, counties are.
2: Oh, it sounds fantastic. And uh, you had a a really sort of pivotal moment, didn't you, in your early childhood uh, when your parents divorced and you say that that has continued to have resonance with you and your work to this day. In what way?
6: Well, it's not so much uh, the divorce. Um, When I was a little bit less than 18 months, yeah, my parents divorced, but that meant also that it was uh, the last time I saw my father. Um, It has been... I would say to this day, the most uh, significant, the most uh, painful um, and difficult uh, event to to deal with. Um, Not very well uh, in the beginning, Uh, in fact, not very well until I would say um, last year, which is why um, I think the next bit on the exhibition will be quite interesting to talk about. But yes, um, the absence of my father, which as a young, you know, as as a, as a baby, you really ass- associate with with death, and because you don't you don't understand what's happening, you just know some somebody's missing, and you can feel it in your guts. And I think without that specific important uh, trauma in my early childhood, I wouldn't be uh, a painter today, or I would certain certainly haven't painted um, all these images um, inspired by absence, loss and grief.
2: So do you find your art cathartic then if it, if it is sort of your way of, of displaying your emotions? As such? I,
6: it's interesting, Christy, because it's actually what I wish uh, every time I did start the whole um, process. I always thought that I would get some help and it would be very cathartic and then I will be able to move on. But sadly, um, it's not what happens. What happens is you go deeper and deeper because you need that very strong connection in order to create a very um, special piece of art. And by going deeper and deeper, you actually get very close to depression. So I used to say, yeah, it's very cathartic, and it's you know it's going to be helpful to work on a certain amount of work, like twenty twenty five pieces. But at the end, actually, you are you feel quite quite low, and you expect the only thing you expect to cheer you up is um, some success from the exhibition. <laughs> and if, <laughs> if if it doesn't happen, even um, yeah, it's 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 what I call. Um, you know, it's, it's it's the kind of thing you have to do. And for me, it wasn't a question I asked myself. I just had to do it. I had to find the answers within myself. Um, at the end of the day, I still feel very privileged because it has allowed me, I think, to produce my very best work so far.
1: Obviously, a lot of your work comes from a very, very personal place. So how do you feel, Bruno, about putting it on show for other people to judge, which is ultimately what they'll be doing, I guess.
6: It's, when it comes to, I mean, don't forget, it's it's the only way to express myself so far. You know, I can't do anything else. I can't write. Uh, music will be for a little bit later. So all I can do at the moment to express myself is to do art. And obviously I do it for people to see it, to have a look. And the more, the better, you know, uh, um as well, in this business, you know, you've got to, you've got to call it a business because unfortunately, it's not only art, you know, I'm, I'm making a living, I'm trying to make a living from it. So I'm trying to reach, you know, um, further and by, by being myself, it's, which is always what I've done by being myself, I think I'm giving people uh, an honest, a very honest uh, view on who, Bruno is as an artist, but not as, not only as an artist, as a human being as well. The two are so interconnected.
2: Okay, so Bruno, uh, we have now come to the top of the house. You're going to show us into the studio. This is your hallowed place. So this is just at the top of your house, but it feels like an entirely separate place.
6: Well, it is a separate place. It's a place where uh, nobody's allowed, uh, including my wife. Uh, which is absolutely true. Um, so this is where everything happens. Um, this is where I do the craziest things aside making art, uh, singing, dancing, shouting. And uh, judging
2: by the uh, electronic drum kit playing the drums.
6: Uh, yeah, uh, attempting to when uh, when I feel like you know I have some energy to burn. So I just put a sound very, very loud and I just uh, do, my, do my best to be louder than the song. But uh, yeah, sadly, I haven't had time to do that in the past uh, three, four months. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Hit The Skin again in about uh, mm, in two weeks' time. I'm not ready if that train's coming
3: Let me belong here in the wind With the sun that greets my skin.
2: So we were hearing that music is obviously very important to you and it's important in your process as well, isn't it?
6: Absolutely. I mean, music, the first thing I do when I come in the studio in the morning, uh, so let's say it's a, it's a classical, it's a typical uh, working day in the studio, first thing to do is to choose the music. Uh, and I've got, uh, I've got lots of different playlists depending on the mood I'm in. And depending as well on what kind of work I want to create, intimate work, um, colorful work, um, difficult, challenging, hopeful. So I've got loads of different playlists and sometimes I would spend like 30 minutes just trying to choose in the I think now is about 1300 albums uh, which one I'm going to play to start the day and uh, that's going to be from nine o'clock to well, yesterday night until three AM, for example, but uh, but without phones, obviously. Uh, so yeah, music is uh, absolutely uh, an essential part of my practice. I ca- I cannot do art without music.
0: Well, it's a real sort of thrilling, gripping, seat of the pants <laughs> page turner. This one, um, it's really I had a great buzz writing it. Actually, Stay Dead. I, I just love writing Annie. I always come back to her and. I think um, although I do lots of other standalone books I think I'll always come back to Annie I, I mean this is the sixth one Stay Dead and hopefully I'll, I'll do a seventh I don't know after that maybe not I mean you know
2: <laughs> we shall see and there is rumor that some of this is very much inspired by your own experiences because you've had a very interesting life haven't you <laughs> Well, yes. (laughs) It's been a bit up and
0: down, that's for sure. Um, You know, when I was was little, we had a family firm and we were doing really, really well and quite wealthy. And then everything went bankrupt and the family business folded. Then my dad died. Um, Mum and me ended up on a council estate and I ran away to London at 16, got to Soho. Met some very dangerous, glamorous people, some gangsters. It was
2: fascinating and and quite frightening, I think. (laughs) And even that, you even started in a very interesting way, because weren't you born in a gypsy caravan? That's right, I was,
0: yeah. My mum was gypsy and um, she sort of married out because my dad was an engineer, a businessman. So, uh, yeah, it's a funny start, isn't it, really? (laughs) Very strange.
2: But presumably this does give you plenty of fodder for your writing.
0: Yeah, that's right. It does. Um, I mean, I've, I've written Stay Dead and I've just handed in my next one. And that's that's really more about gypsy life. Um, that's another thriller. <laughs> so I'm just rolling on all the time.
2: And what about cause it's so many novels, especially crime thrillers like this now, are mm-hmm. translating onto the big screen. Is that something that you'd like to do?
0: Well, yes. I mean, I, I think that's every writer's holy grail, isn't it? Really, to be have, have one of their books put onto the big screen. I'm writing a treatment at the moment for one of my other books. Um, I may do the same for Stay Dead. That would be great. I, I would love that if if that happened. But it's of course it's <laughs> it's one of those things you just wish for and hope for, and
2: you, we'll see. We will see. I love actually looking at your site when you're talking about your background and you're talking about all the quite extraordinary and often quite dark things that have happened to you in your past. And you you say on your site, even painful events pass. And if you make bad choices, hopefully you learn from them, which is a wonderful message to put across.
0: I think, you know, it's just experience, isn't it? You know, you may, it may feel awful at the time, but you get through it, you know, you know, stay strong and just push ahead, really. That's all you can do, isn't it? You can either just sink and go under or you can go forward, I think.
2: And one of the question, because with it being Lit Fest this week, we've been focusing quite a lot on books. And one of the questions that we've put out there, are you a fan of e-tablets, Kindles and the like, or do you prefer a good old fashioned book? I do love the Kindles for, for watching
0: TV and, you know, this sort of thing, BBC iPlayer and all that stuff. But I I do find, personally, I just love the feel of a book. I can't get over that. I I just do like a book rather than just reading it on Kindle. And also the lovely covers. I mean, there's a fabulous cover on Stay Dead. This, this fantastic lady, she also did um, Playing Dead. She did the cover of that for me, this lovely model. You've got a lovely cover there. And on a Kindle, nobody can really, you know, you can't really see. <laughs> when, when everybody's by the pool reading the
2: book, you can see the lovely cover. But no, you can't on a Kindle, can you? And if there's any uh, sort of young, ex- aspiring writers out there listening, what advice would you give them? I would say just be persistent. Don't give up. Keep going. You'll find it's very,
0: very tough. Occasionally you get these miraculous things that happen and somebody sends something to a publisher and straight away it's picked up and it becomes an international success. But that's quite rare. And you you have to be quite gutsy and, and just stick with it. You know, keep going.
2: So if people are interested in getting hold of your latest book, where can they go to get it?
0: Right, they can find it um, Well, on my website, com. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I'd like to talk to them on there. It's on audio. It's on Amazon Online. It's in all bookshops and some supermarkets. And does it matter if you haven't read the previous books in the series? No, I think they're pretty much stand-alone
2: on their own merits. Each one's a separate story, so I think you can very quickly pick it up, yeah. You are listening to Women Today. It's just gone 20 minutes to three. We are talking to Selena Hooper and uh, Neil Thompson, who's coming to talk to us about the Big Beat for Hospice. Selina, in case anyone doesn't know, just tell us what Big Beat actually is.
7: Okay. Uh, Big Beat for Hospice was an event that was held actually in October 2014. Can't believe it's two years ago already. <laughs> uh, it was a group of drummers that all got together who decided to do something for charity. And in this time it was for the hospice they decided to do a marathon drumming event so they literally drummed non-stop for the whole weekend i think it worked out as 55 hours by the time that they stopped and this happened in the villa marina over that weekend
2: and this would make sense then neil as to why you got involved i take it selena did you bring neil into this for the purpose of obviously i assume looking after the drummers then
7: yeah um i got in touch with the guys to help them make a video to help promote the event and what they were doing. And then from there, I agreed to help them and make a documentary just to to really sort of show the event and, and prove that they'd actually done it, I suppose, uh, showcase everything that they'd done and the, the thrills and spills along the way. And one of the, the ideas that I had was to involve Neil uh, and his clinic and see if he could help the the drummers along the way because one of the things that um, really inspired me to get Neil was involved was looking at his website because of his approach to chiropractic. It's not the usual backcrack man as you would normally think it is. It's a complete rounded philosophy and he, he sat and spent quite a lot of time with the drummers and went through nutrition and a number of different aspects of things with them, including um, posture and alignment. And he, he did some treatments during the weekend. And the, the testimonials that we've had from the drummers are, are phenomenal. They, they, some of them have said that they couldn't have done it without his help. So uh,
2: that must have been interesting, talking to drummers about nutrition, Neil.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it was a short conversation, really. <laughs> no, actually, I could. I, I they were great. I, I really enjoyed working with them. Um, um, because I think it's... When you've got a blank slate to work on you've got so much you can help a person with and normally people who um, um, are not really f- familiar with many of the wellness sort of concepts and principles uh, they're some of the people who i like working most with because you can take them from sort of ground zero to you know a whole new level of their health just because they're starting to adopt some easy things that will make a massive difference which had they realized that they could have um, adopted these earlier um you know they would and that they were so easy they would have done so but sometimes it's just a case of pointing people in the right direction
2: Well, because I'm assuming they must have some um, very specific physical challenges being drummers, you know, sort of sitting in that one position. And especially for this documentary, they were sat there for a long time and that same motion sort of over and over again. What what sort of um, difficulties did they, if any, get into over the course of the weekend?
4: Sure. I mean, well, I've got to commend them for 55 hours of solid drumming. That is... Well, if you want to know stress, that's going to be stress, (laughs) certainly physically stressful to them. Although they love doing it, just the toll on the body would have been huge. You know, um, just the fact that they're sitting, you've got to remember a drummer is sitting most of the time, you know, and we know sitting long periods is not good. So when you're sitting even just eight hours at a desk, typical, you know, nine to five job, that's very damaging to the spine and nervous system, let alone 55 hours yes they got a couple of one or two hours break here or there but I mean it was brutal on the body um, but also they're not just sitting there at a keyboard you know they're sitting there drumming away so you know it's taking strain on their neck and shoulders uh, and a lot of their their, their upper body um, but obviously ultimately on their spine um, and just the posture that they're in for long periods we know for a fact that prolonged abnormal postures will cause spine and nervous system problems.
2: And they did a really good job, didn't they, Selina? Because, as we said, that is an exceptionally long time to be doing this. How many drummers were actually involved?
7: I think there was around five or six core drummers, but then there were several other people all came along and joined in um, from people that were drummers that that came in from other areas of the island after gigs and helped out to... uh, They actually had guests drum sets at the front of the hall so anybody that wanted to drum could come along and, and have a go and we have some lovely a lovely range of, of film from that including um, one very beautiful little girl drumming away quite happily in a pair of hello kitty earmuffs who is my new hero Oh, she was thoroughly that. enjoying herself
2: so but that's an awful lot of time to film because presumably you wanted to try and film as much as possible so you didn't miss any of those magic moments did you film the whole
7: thing? Virtually, yes. We we decided from very early on that because all of the crew that were involved were donating their time for free we decided that because there would be a lack of audience overnight we wouldn't particularly do the overnight sessions but we were staying till late and then coming back early in the morning anyway but I think by the time that we finished I think we had three camera setups in the main room and then we had a number of roving cameras and people were taking images on GoPros and on their phones, which have all been included. I think I have reviewed 350 hours worth of footage oh in total from the whole events
2: Of just drumming?
7: <laughs> well, a number of things. So there was uh, treatments from Neil, there were interviews from people involved and then there were things taken from outside. There were interviews that were done with local media such as Manx Radio and... Uh, other stations, etc. So, yeah, uh, thankfully not all drumming, but I do have a newfound respect for ear defenders. Yeah.
4: <laughs> did, you, did you actually need more treatment from Neil during the editing process? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> 350 hours worth of editing is also going to be pretty brutal. I have to commend it to you, Celine. I think what you've done is incredible. Mm. And when she approached me with this whole idea, I, th- I thought, you know what, that is a brilliant idea. Um, because... Um, yeah. I mean, just to support the hospice in this way and to bring on a wellness expert who ultimately my goal is to try and reduce the amount of chronic illness on the island. So mm-hmm. less people have to go to hospice. Uh, and a, as a way to try and, you know, make the, the, the sort of movie a little bit more interesting, I thought was a brilliant idea. So I think Celine done a great job.
2: How much did they raise in the end? Because I, I know the term, they've continued to do different events, haven't they, since then. But do we know what sort of total was raised?
7: I'm going to leave that because that's revealed in the documentary. Ooh. And will be available for everybody to see when we release the documentary to the general public at the end of next week. Exciting.
2: I'm assuming it's not a 55-hour long documentary. No. <laughs> what did you get it down to? 15
7: minutes or, that, or
2: thereabouts.
7: That's,
4: That's, a, lot <laughs> That's yes.
2: a lot of editing. That's a lot of editing. That it? is <laughs> a lot of editing. So what is the kind of end platform for it
7: then? Is it DVD or is it online? Or? It'll just be available for everybody online. But I also believe that the hospice would like to play it in their reception area, which we've given them permission to do, obviously. And uh, I, th- I believe as well that there is talk of it being shown at the hospice ball In October which I believe marks the end of Margaret Simpson's tenure as chief executive oh yeah it's been a a big year for hospice hasn't it
2: really so if people want to find out more about the documentary and uh, and find those links to be able to buy it where should they go Selena
7: they should visit our Facebook page if they type in the big beat for hospice documentary they should find that on Facebook
2: Holly it's really lovely to meet you really lovely to have you on the Isle of Man it has been a busy day for you so far
8: Yeah, it has. It's been good, though. Went into St. Ninians in the morning and I've just met the uh, La Leche League breastfeeding support group as well. And then I've got an opening ceremony tonight. It's been lovely. It's been nice.
2: And so you were meeting with the La Leche group this morning because um, there's a a particular poem that you wrote and performed that has become very popular.
8: Yeah, sort of unfortunately. It's a shame that it has. Yeah, I, I wrote a poem about breastfeeding on a public toilet basically because I was too embarrassed to breastfeed in in a cafe and I wasn't going to put it up and my partner at the time said that he thought I should like share that one and put it up on YouTube and it yeah I just thought nobody else did it but it seems that about 10 million other people do. It took me eight weeks to get the confidence to go into town. Now the comments around me cut like a knife as I rush into toilet cubicles feeling nothing like nice. Midwives tell me they're sneaking it into hospitals to show like new mums that are worried about being embarrassed to breastfeed and stuff. So it's, it's pretty nice to have a kind of, I don't know, practical poem, I guess. And I suppose
2: that proves, doesn't it, that poetry really does still have a place because you are connecting and communica- communicating with people in a really strong way.
8: I hope so. I think like if music has a you know, a, a place, an art and all sorts of things like inspire people or speak to them, don't they? So I don't think don't see why poetry should be any different. I just feel like if, if I can be honest and not be too embarrassed to talk about the most embarrassing parts of my life, then if it's helpful <laughs> then I'll just carry on doing that. through them together. When I was younger, I made a prat out of myself more times than I care to remember. Memories never caught on tape. No cut and paste, no picture proof just left to look back on, sometimes to sting a little sweet. I think it's harder growing up now, now that developing is so cheap.
9: Um, I'm Ros North, I'm the head of English at St. Linions High School. Ros, this
2: is a fantastic opportunity to have Ollie over. What did you think of what she did here today, and how the students connected to it?
9: I think because it's modern and very different to the things that they normally study, and a lot of them have said that. You know, they sort of she got started by asking whether they love poetry, you know, and a couple of them said, well, honest and said, no, we hate it. And and they've said to me since, you know, it's so different to what we study. It's so different to see someone actually performing, challenging them a little bit. Looking at modern things, you know, she can express her political views, and and they've obviously really, really connected and joined. The amount of them who stay behind want to chat to her shows the enthusiasm, and it's fantastic to see. And some of them really quite challenging themes as well, absolutely. And I think that's important. And as I was just saying to Emma, it's not that it's something that they don't come up against, see in the media, know about, you know, a little bit of swearing, you know, connects them a bit, and it's not a problem. And and, and the issues and the ideas that she talks about, all things that are utterly relevant to them and things they're going to come up against themselves. So I think, you know they've really enjoyed hearing someone talking about things that they can communicate with. I feel like whenever I go
8: and do poems in front of teenagers I don't really want to censor it to be like teenage friendly because they get everything now like anything and I guess we did too really we were talking about all sorts of stuff and then at school it's so tame and you think well if we're not going to talk about like true sex or not that you know someone's truth and all they're going to see is like like porn, I guess, in that sort of way. Or if we're not going to talk about breastfeeding because we don't want to talk about breasts, or like what what's the what's the point? I just I hate I hate all those taboos. Like the idea of taboos. I think all they can do is make kids embarrassed to talk about anything either, which leads to can lead to abuse, and they're too embarrassed to talk about their bodies and tell anyone. Or it can lead to like in a less serious way, like just. A bad sex life from the age of like 18 until you're like 30
7: which is also a bit of a waste of your time I think. Uh, Amelia. Ellie. i Hazel.
2: Okay you've just uh, seen Holly McNish performing and also talking about her life as a poet. Uh, what did you all think of it?
7: Um, I thought it was really good. I really like the like topic she chose for her
2: poetry because often like we think poetry is really boring but hers was like really interesting and she's like loads of modern stuff.
5: Yeah I thought it was amazing the things that she talked about that um we could relate to not all of them, obviously. Like the pregnancy ones, we couldn't relate to, <laughs> but the, just the way she spoke, it wasn't boring or big words like you'd think poetry to be. It was very relatable and really enjoyable.
2: She was very, very frank about the pregnancy and about having a child. Did it change any of your opinions about the idea of motherhood?
7: Um, I don't really know anything about it, so I guess it's good to kind of hear her opinion out, because normally it's all like, oh, it's all beautiful and natural, but then when you hear her side of it, yeah. it is really
5: interesting. Yeah it kind of changed your kind of initial stereotype of motherhood a bit because I think everyone kind of thinks of motherhood as really being really kind of flowery and like (laughs) all pure and really nice but hearing her talking about like sucking snot out of her baby's nose and stuff (laughs) changed my opinion a little bit
2: So are you inspired to write some poetry yourselves now? Um <laughs> I'm inspired to read more poetry and listen to more poetry. I did about write it myself. I'm not very good at that, but I did really enjoy
7: her poems. I might look at maybe look at the books or something like that. It does make it less daunting though, because when you think of poetry you think of like Shakespeare and all this highbrow stuff, but it's makes it less of a like like a scary thing to think about.
4: Well Christy, it was a fantastic performance obviously there. And um, I think with, with Holly, she's so modern and new you know she's not afraid to swear and not afraid to tell things as it is and i think that's that really appeals to young people especially and i think that's that's why she was so popular here today seeing the news
2: and you weren't put off at all by the, the kind of very feminine topics
4: not at all i mean i personally I, I like equality i like not being pc really i like things you know seen it as it is and i think it's a really good perspective to see a woman a mother um, talking about things honestly and openly and saying about how not great men are. I think I, th- I think it's really good, yeah, brilliant.
2: And what about you, Jack? You, you seem to have really gotten something from this today.
4: Yeah, well, at the start of the session, I was like, I don't really like poetry. Like, She asked the question, does anyone just hate poetry, and I was the only one to put my hand up. And at the end of it, I've sort of come out with a new perspective of it, because all the stuff you learn in school, it's like Shakespeare and all the old-fashioned stuff, but now it's like... It's just more modern, and it makes a bit more sense if you get me.
2: So you thinking you might have a go yourself sometime?
4: Oh no, I I still I still could not do it. Like <laughs> I just uh, I just have a bit more respect for poets and that.
8: Sometimes people seem to say, oh, you know, poetry used to be all these. I've heard lots of articles like, oh, it used to be all these like dead old white men that were really boring to study, and now it's like you know, or younger people coming through, but I think actually the poetry there is, is brilliant as well. It's like all the classical poetry, not all of it, I don't like all of it, but, I mean, they're not bad poets just because they're 300 years old or 200 years old, but they were meant to be spoken as well. It's, I think it's just how you read it or how you engage with it.
2: So if any of those students, I don't know if any of them came up to you this morning and said that they wanted to get involved in writing poetry themselves, but what sort of advice would you give to someone who decided they want to get into poetry?
8: I would say just keep writing and keep reading. Like, the, really, the more I read and the more I do, the more... I've got to write about. I just, it's like the world in general, isn't it? The more you, the more you live, the more you'll have to talk and write about. Well, I sit on these cold toilet lids, no matter how embarrassed I feel as she sips, I think I should try to get used
3: to this.
1: Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, if there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show or something you think we should be talking about, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via email. It's womentoday@manxradio.com, at manxradio.com or you can go to the Women Today Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there. Or we're also on Twitter. It's at Today. Until next time, goodbye.
3: Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds, and the best value on the island from just twenty-three pounds ninety-five per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey, and Port
4: Erin, or click Shaw.com.
6: Love the end
4: Stands and conditions apply.